Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Anything fixed is flawed. This chat with Jack Manning Bancroft is a slightly different one for the mentor. Jack is a proud Bunjalung man and the founder of AIME, AIM, a mentoring and educational movement. He started back studying when he's at the University of Sydney. He doesn't call himself CEO, director or any of that type of stuff. In fact, he sort of hates that description, but he loves the work that they do. Jack is driven by how we can create a fairer world. And he's thinking he's not drawn to the bigger picture, but it's about how we can change the way we organize our world. This chat is all about challenging assumptions, about challenging the way we live, lead, and think. This is a podcast that'll expand your horizons about the systems that run our world and how you can change your thinking to change the way you live and do business. Stay to the end because it does get a bit complex in terms of the thinking, but it does elicit a lot of thought. So let's get into it. Jack Manning Bancroft, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you're the CEO and founder of a, I'll call it an enterprise at this stage, called AIME, which is Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience, otherwise known as AIM. Tell me about it. Well, right now it's a, a network across 52 countries of people that are working to try and alleviate inequity and work out how we can solve solve those challenges. Inequity. Inequity. Inequity, yep. Yeah. We, when we started, was... Uh, me and my mum and friends and so that was 20 years ago out of a university campus in Sydney and when I was looking at the challenge and talking to a really close friend who was the first we who's um, someone I was studying with at, at university who's a Kenyan guy, Kabir Danji and we um, we were 17 walking up and down King Street looking at the problems we'd inherited and studying journalism, looking at this complete destabilisation that was about to happen uh, in 2002 we started out a degree or 2003 and then, you know, you had Google had just arrived or was on the march, YouTube about to land in 2004, um, Facebook about to land in 05 and we were trying to work out how you how you build these equitable, fair, just um, platforms for human beings to be at our best and and both having grown up in, in lives and families where our families were ostracised, were excluded from society and just thinking that it could be designed better. What could be designed better? You mean the, the platforms or? Yeah, our networks fundamentally, uh, how we interacted, where we placed intelligence uh, from whom in the design queue at the beginning. And I would sort of the state of the the analysis that I looked at was, look, 
you look at a couple hundred years, you look at three to four colonial empires that have gone around the world that um, intentionally by design of the empire build excluded all forms of intelligence except for the, the group that were driving that empire movement and then built the capital, the systems around it and, and around capital, particularly looking at where intellectual capital comes from and saying this is where we value intelligence from and then all things will flow from here. And I think in doing that, we've seen, you know, over a couple of hundred years, some some significant gains and, and improvements in life expectancy. We've seen some improvements in medicine. We've seen some shifts in behavior. We've seen some un- unbelievable work in philosophy. Um, and then we've just missed a huge amount of intelligence and most of that's non-human. And the system which I'm lucky to be connected to, uh, which is the Indigenous system from Australia, so my family is Bunjalung and from um, the north coast of New South Wales and I've got really fair skin if you can see me on camera and so I grew up with a white dad and my grandfather had black skin, went and fought for Australia in World War II, faced apartheid conditions, came back to Tenerfield and sat out the back and had to drink with the dogs after going and, you know, fighting for us around the Pacific Islands and and ensuring that Australia could be safe. And so the... The challenges within a couple of generations of kind of seeing what was possible and then trying to understand, okay, well, our systems before we were told that we were slaves, our family, um, or that we had no worth or that we were like, you know, for a hundred years we had a white Australia policy here that took kids away um, to breed out the black, which is like the gnarliest thing I've ever, ever, you know, heard of alongside the Holocaust, probably two of the most like oppressive, like intentional government regimes for for a hundred years. And when you have that to a a system and a knowledge lab that for 60,000 years, I think is our smartest knowledge, it has to hold up, I think, as a logic argument that you look at indigenous systems here, 60,000 years is a scorecard. You're like, okay, that's a very long lab. What we've done so far in a lot of the um, and what it looked like in a lot of the narrative work intentionally was doing from the empire builds was by dehumanising that intelligence. Do you, do you mean the British empire build? British, um, Spanish, French. But let's look at Australia, for example. British, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. So, let me go back a step though, if you don't Please, mind. Because yeah, yeah. you're going a bit too fast for me because there's a lot coming out. So, I reckon you can keep up. Yeah, no, but I'm, I'm, I just want to sort of break it down a little bit though. So... I want to understand first what you mean by intelligence. So do you mean intelligence as in accumulated knowledge or do you mean actual intellect in making decisions and or policies current, well, not current, like over the last 100 years? What do you mean by intelligence and, and missing that opportunity? Yeah, well, I think the the base level would be in that prize, how do we measure intelligence from what source? So who do we think are intelligent people? So what's our what's our assumption at the beginning and what's our narrative as to who is intelligent? Right, just to just open that up a little bit. So Yeah, please. It, yeah, so uh, so your, your thesis is or part of your thesis is we're running a system in Australia for argument's sake today and we were 50 years ago and we were 100 years ago. Who are the intelligent people? who should be responsible for, let's call it policy. Yeah, I think- Who would, are they? Yeah, and and what, what does the design labs look like? You know, and we look at, we, as an international example, if you look at 
say MIT Media Labs. It's the same age as me. Um, and I'm not sure, are you familiar with Building 20, which was out no. of MIT as well? So MIT being Institute yeah. Technology, yep. So Building 20 is one of those great outlier case studies. So they the, the imitation game, which um, they told the story of Turing, which sort of solved the challenges of cracking the code of what the Nazis were doing and then allowed the Allies to effectively win World War II. Turing and his mathematicians were in Building 20 and then it just became this basically dilapidated piece of shit building in the in the university for 20 years. No one really paid attention to it but they kept it there. It was outside the margins. It was the ugly building and then Chomsky goes over there and starts playing there and then other people start playing there and Bose headphones and music comes, spins out of there and the, the thesis of my work is that the intelligence is always outside the margins. Any creative thinker who has got the new idea has just either gone back in history or gone out to nature and looked at mycelium and been like, oh, that's a pretty smart network design pattern or look at how a flower moves or look at how bees move or look at how ants move. The power of observation basically, which is how most discoveries are made. Yeah, and I I would think that what has – I would would argue that – what has happened is that the observer for the most part has been a very small person who's been given that power to then verify what that intelligence looks like. So it would be from the colonial empire example in Australia, you have people come out, set up a government, you have the convicts and then you have this other underclass where the convicts suddenly go, okay, well, I've turned up to Australia with all this shame. You know, I've been told in my society that I was the lowest of the low, I've been imprisoned. You can now go out to Australia. Oh, cool. These people are not even human. So go and, you know, put them underneath your foot and go, that's the, that's the lowest of the low. So the ruling class is then saying, okay, well, here is an intelligent um, design frame. And what I argue and what I think we've missed is we're just missing all of these design thinkers. So the, the MIT Media Labs comparison, 35 years, so 36 years I think um, this year it is, that's the same age as me, give or take. And then a 60,000-year-old lab, what we've done so far as we've tried to arrest um, the bringing of people into the the fabric of modern society is we've said to anybody that was different and excluded, and this is before we even talk about nature, which we've just completely and utterly excluded from the design process, you can come in, we'll build these shitty drawbridges, but can you come in and pattern off what we've inherited as our behavioural patterns? Can you come in and behave in these ways? So can you be the Aboriginal doctor? Can you be the immigrant lawyer? Can you be the business person from a background who, who achieves in this system? And that has value if alongside you're saying, what are the systems that you've designed? Like in our family patterns in, in our Indigenous systems, most of our patterns are patterned diagonally and they're really rich cross-hatching designs and it's just a much healthier way to build teams, for example. So you, if you're building generative cross-hatching diagonal structures into your team units, you're building capacity for more imaginative thought and regeneration within your team culture. That is just a smarter way to run organisations than running this mum-dad top-down sort of framework and you can get healthier um cross-pollination of knowledge. That would be an example of taking Indigenous systems thinking into the boardroom and then saying, how are we going to shape the design frame of our teams, for example? So I think we're just missing a, a significant amount of intelligence. And that was what I looked at at the beginning of AIM was, okay, I don't want to look at 
the Indigenous problem to fix. I want to look at the abundance of intelligence that's been excluded and work out how we can build one network bridge to university students so they can actually have access to a deeper form of intelligence they might not know. And then suddenly you, in that, we did that relationship for 12 years and then when I looked at inequity, um, as we were talking about before we started the podcast, I couldn't... Um, I couldn't look at analysing inequity without looking at the world. And I was like, well, inequity is not Australia. It's not one marketplace. It's we're not going to solve Indigenous inequality by looking at Indigenous versus non-Indigenous. And as I looked at the market share of what we got in the modern economy um, as Indigenous people, you get NAIDOC week, like that's what you get carved out or you get 2% of the Indigenous affairs budget. Well, when I looked at what was happening around the world, you go, okay, well, it's 8 billion odd people. And then it's 7 million other species that we share the rock with. 20 billion billion animals are on this rock that we share it with. That's where you've got to shape the analysis of a system to then design an equity um, or design an attack or an approach on an equity. And so that's what we set about doing in the last six years is hatching from a couple of unlikely connections in one domestic frame, looking Indigenous, non-Indigenous, to going, okay, inside and outside the margins. That's where we think of the two camps. And what's missing is these bridges between but the bridges that we've built so far are basically still, um, they're like the emergency chutes coming out of the plane. You know, you kind of just drop this chute out and say, oh, come into the plane, not these sort of really healthy playgrounds where you're going, you have intelligence, come to the table, sit down with these people and let's together look out and work out how we can solve these things. And and so that's where we've got to now, which is feeling, um, yeah, it feels like we're getting to a place where you're starting to activate the best of people's talents almost transcending identity politics. So our, our main playground is imagination, like that's our lever behaviourally. And the lab, we've, you know, we're building a digital country called Imagination. We, as a framework, are looking at ourselves as an imagination lab for humanity. So I'm curious about that one. So yep. you're building a digital country, uh, and you mean as in um, the way Indigenous people think about country or are you, to, are you talking about um, a nation? Yeah, and called na- a digital nation, so to speak. A nation state, yeah. So the I'm not sure if you're familiar with Balaji, who's been doing yeah, yeah. a lot of stuff in the Web3 world and, and calling for the network state. In in parallel, over the last 18 months, we've been building it. But you've been, um, are you building one for our nation? I mean, I'm sorry, an Ast- I don't know what you're going to call it, but a nation here? Or? For humanity at large, uh, yeah. Globally. Yeah. So it's called Imagi-Nation, so it's Imagination. So it's open for everybody in the world. Um, it's, a, it's a bit digital. Digital. So you sort of somehow, you know, you dial into it somehow you, or, you, or you subscribe to it. Or log, yeah, log, log in, in. online. Mm-hmm. And the, but built off a physical infrastructure network of 20 years of what we've already built. So we've got our hotspots in Paris and in the continent of Africa and New York and in deep places we've built relations. Is this AIM? This is AIM, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, There's a lot of lazy. Yep. So if, just hang in there for a sec in terms of let me get my head around it. Uh, so uh, you're building a, a place called Imag, you know, imagination. 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 Yep. It's uh, sort of clever. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a digital, let's call it a global digital one nation. No, why don't we use that word? But well, that framework, but like it's, yeah. it's sort of one nation, one yep. global nation. It's a digital one. You, you, you know, log in, obviously you have to get in there, become a member of whatever the words are. Get a passport. Yep. Yep, get a passport. Uh, um, has I guess it's going to have a government. Yep. Elections, you know, or that that one's been really interesting. So yeah, going through um the 
that design process of how do you design a country. Um, it's like know, a metaverse sort of thing, but it's playing, well, it's sort of like a metaverse. Yeah, it's it's sort of looking at the scope of the best of Web3, looking at the original cats building, um, like out of Essex, the first ever multiplayer games were built in the 60s and 70s. So looking at the origins of game design, which was, you know, how do we connect each other, looking at the, the best of the internet where I think, you know, we left um, – the major social platforms as an organization six or seven years ago, I think those platforms are, are definitively sick in the way that they've driven us um, to, to to the illusion of relations uh, when there is just these the huge advertising empires. And yeah, you mean like in terms of Instagram and Facebook yeah, and blah, blah, blah. And, I, and, I, and if they were just presented as, you know, these are big advertising networks and that's what they are, but they're not providing that deep connection because there is a deep, dark, lurking shadow that steals our information, manipulates us and makes us want to buy stuff. So what we've been looking at is not a social network but a relational network. Instead of taking people's data and time, connecting them to knowledge and empowering them to then work on knowledge to then solve things and looking really deeply as we walk through this design process at all of the checks and balances along the way of what have we failed at with these network builds in the last decade to 15 years and what where are the, the design levers that we can pull. So there's been a couple of really interesting ones. So from governance, we were looking at, okay, well, what are the Indigenous systems teach us in terms of governance frame? Well, nature's the hero. So you're, in terms of the design of this, so, mm-hmm. of this um, digital nation, in terms of design, your what you are now falling back to is what can I learn from your your particular mob, but all, or just generally all the mobs in Australia in terms of Indigenous Australia, but Indigenous globally, I guess to some extent. What can I learn in terms of their learnings? You know, what things do they put in place? What what can I grab from that that's valuable? But to some extent, it's also about I guess it sounds like it's also um, uh, not trying to repeat. You know, what the British and Spanish and Portuguese and I don't know all the other empires have done in the past, but maybe drag from them some things that are valuable too. Yep. And how do I find those things that are valuable in terms of building, rebuilding, or building this new digital nation? Is is that right? Is you got that, it. Yeah. yeah. And there's some of the thought. You know, those stay up late at night. Like, how do I? How do we look Send at your this? fucking crazy thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like how do if if. If you're going to start a country anew, where yeah. do you start? Because you're not really starting country though, are you? Yes. Um, how, how do you work that? Like, because, you know, you, especially for someone like you who's got an Indigenous background, like uh, country means something special to you, um, to Indigenous Australians. Um, it's about nature and um, it's just about 60,000 years of traditions and uh, learnings and systems and techniques and complex relationships, et cetera, um, when you say country, what do, what do you actually mean? Well, yeah, I, th- I think one of the... Country means something particularly to me when it, when someone in Indigenous says country. Yeah. I think of something in particular. I think of Latrell Mitchell walking around Taree on his farm. I don't mean this in a smart-ass way. Yeah, but yeah. But like connected to the ground, maybe with his shoes off, feeling the ground. Yeah, I think there's That's a... That's what I think. There's a... the. There's probably 10 tangents we can jump on, but I'll try and do two at the same time and bring us back. I think the one of the things which I find um, has been challenging growing up with my Aboriginality and the concept of connecting a country is our family was um, massacred where our family's from. So they're two survivors, one of them who's my great, 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 great grandmother, Pemau, um, who we've named our first daughter after. Uh, so the first Pemau survived and Pundun and there were maybe a few other survivors. 
and so mum when we were nine or ten we grew up in Balmain and then mum mum's a probably one of Australia's top contemporary Indigenous artists so I've been even though I've got fair skin like my Aboriginality has always been very um like clear to me because I grew up with all these Aboriginal people around our house all the time like and I've worked out you know after studying some of these heroes or whatever that they're all in our backyard like you know all the civil rights activists in Sydney were just in mum's backyard and and other people who have sort of really changed the game in the last 30 or 40 years and so I've, I've kind of always found it like a probably question everything in my life that was put down as like a firm law like I think anything fixed is flawed like if it doesn't have the regenerative capacity to be evolved or adapted and we can get into um, dangerous territory when we romanticize indigenous systems as this like perfect um, fixed narrative that then stops or you know connecting a country as being this pure yeah. thing so I, I, I agree because th- it, it, it is a bit romantic yeah and but it, but it exists but it's, it's, it's a romantic thing well, but that that's where I think the com- when we have space for more complexity in our in our analysis and the more complexity we have the more space we have for emancipation and freedom which starts to get to what I think imagination is as a concept. And, and what I, I hope it will be as a network for us for the next decade. The, when you return, you know, when I returned to country as a like nine, 10 year old, I could hear like these spirits screaming when I'd go to sleep. Like it felt like sick country. And when I'm around Aboriginal people, I feel safe wherever I am. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm then in connection. So Part of it, I think, is the relations. Like it's it's the activation of the relations. So whether the Latrell example, like it's being there with people and with story and with 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 that um, relational connection, which we can all relate to. Whether you're, when you're around the table with family or when you're in those spaces where those relationships give you energy, um, that's the part one of the design elements in in the network that that I think Indigenous systems have. That Buddhism has this this concept that you you give into a network, you don't expect anything in return, and you know it's not a waste of time. And that is one of the things I think makes that relationship to country rich because you're giving to wherever you are. You're thinking about nature. My totem's a platypus. Um, on the woo-woo scale, I'd probably be like, I don't know, somewhere in the middle. My sister's definitely more advanced on the woo-woo scale. What's that? Like, you know, the a bit of a hippie, trippy kind of like mystic idea right. of what, what life looks like. So when, you know, I've been taught that our family ends up as a platypus after death. I'm not sure if my like, you know, all my ancestors are actually platypuses, but I'm not going to fuck with the water they live in. So there's some really smart patterns that allow us to be anchored in relation to different places and they're just techniques like they're, you know, having organisations in relation to different species is a way of mapping healthier patterns. So you go, okay, cool, well, we're, we're in relation at the moment. One of the projects we're doing amongst many is helping reforest Sydney's uh, coastline with this group operation, Crayweed, and we built a seaweed hoodie and so we're looking at, you know, getting 20 organisations to have a relationship with the ocean over the next decade and to work on that reforestation process and that their relationship is with seaweed. My relationship's with a platypus, those 20 organisations have a relationship with seaweed. That is how I think we anchored more healthy patterns. So when we've got to building imagination, we've been looking at how we build those processes of relation, which I think, you know, it can it can seem impossible to shift a system. I think the the opportunities for design are in ceremony in and ceremony out. And 
what are the processes of how we're mapped in relation, like where are our anchor points? And then our anchor points start to shape what our value system looks like. And then the ceremony out is where we declare success on that impact piece, whether the reserve bank or reserve bank we um, we get to. So, yeah, that's the arc of the, the space. And then imagination, we, yeah, it's been a total fascinating trip to work through the governance questions. So for our governance, we got to a place where we're like, okay, is it elders, are elders like the ultimate piece? And, you know, I know some elders that are pretty flawed. Um, and, and some youngers. Yeah, exactly. So I, I've also been like, yeah, I'll respect my elders, but they've got to show me some respect. And if they're dysfunctional, then, then that shouldn't be a law that sits like permanently. But nature, yeah, okay, I can see how that is a place to anchor value around. So we're going to... Um, we're going to gift all the IP of imagination back to nature. We've got 14 cultural indicator species. We've been working with this Indigenous Knowledge Systems Labs out of um, Deakin Uni with, which I'm a part of as well, to map these indicator species. So then we're, we're working to the health of an indicator species becomes part of our impact measurement system and part of our banking system and, and what the value and health of the network looks like. The next part was, you know, we've, we've done... 18 months of design of the thing and then 20 years of building a network to try and understand humanity. So we feel like, you know, people spinning up networks after, you know, getting a bit of capital or having an idea and then um, like Facebook, like, you know, for old mate, he spins up who's hot, who's not as a college campusing maybe to get a girl or to like make girls feel bad because he's feeling insecure and then suddenly it's got a billion people. There's no governance stuff around that and it's built on the soul of who's hot, who's not. Um, this is built on 20 years of intentional relations with people to try and bring people together to be at our best and then using imagination, which in terms of a country, to, to swing back to the original question, I think it's the only country that should exist is our imaginative space. And, you know, whether you're in a refugee camp, in the biggest refugee camp in northern Kenya, you can be free if you have freedom of thought. And the most oppressive regimes throughout human history have that's been the final battleground. That I'm gonna I'm gonna remove your hope, your desire to even hold a thought that you can be free or Anne to Frank. drink. Uh, Lorraine Frank, good example. Since this is quite a cerebral discussion, I, I want to pose some um, questions to you that I don't have an answer to, but uh, I find quite um, quite challenging in terms of um, picking a better outcome or a better system and a better outcome. So you're going to go to the break and going to come straight back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Thank you. 
this has totally been a uh, a complete twister uh, discussion with Jack. With mentally, I'm talking about intellectually, but it's okay. It's good. It's it's good to challenge your way of thinking. So I want to ask you this, and I'd like to get a point of view from someone with your background, but also with your thought process or your way of thinking. Whether it's a system that is built off the back of the British colonialists or Portuguese, whoever, French, <laughs> doesn't matter, Spanish, I don't care, or indeed Indigenous people, or all systems by definition work off rules. It's just the same as if I write a program for you and build some code for you. It's a set of rules and it's a set of logic rules. Well, so it's not logic, but it's not logical, but it's a set of so-called logic rules to give outcomes and then we abide by those rules and the system itself starts to work, whether it's a, you know, it's a digital thing or whether it's, um, you know, how I live in a community in, the, in Alice Springs or how I might live in, uh, you know, a, a rich person's community here in, you know, these suburbs of Sydney or how I operate in the government in Macquarie Street. It doesn't make any difference. I've always seen, I've always looked at these things as fictions. They're all fictions. Mm-hmm. Every law, every every law we call law, whether it's legislated by parliament or whether it's a rule which is sort of legislated by the traditional managers of the tradition, they're all fictions, every one of them, created to create a system to try to control or give, um, give us uh, ways to manage our social order of the group we're talking about. I don't think, see any one of them better or worse than the other I don't mean one works better or worse than the other. I, I don't know the answer to that because I've, I've never experienced them all, obviously. But I, I, th- I think from where they come from, where they originate, they are no better than the other because they're just a set of fictional rules created to have social order, some form of social order. And I agree the current system that we live at, live in Australia, for example, or the global system is full of flaws. But I equally would th- I'd imagine that other systems are also full of flaws mm. and uh, and sometimes they're all manipulated at some stage or other by whoever's got the power because they all deliver power to someone, whether it's Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> or whether whoever it happens to be. So, you know, and, it, it could, and it, by the way, it could be Murdoch, you know, like it, it, some and some might look at it and say, well, you've set the rules when it comes to media and the power of media and you manipulate those rules to suit yourself, which is, you know, just been a case where he settled $1.2 billion Aussie to somebody who allegedly was defamed. Someone from your community, from your background, your your Indigenous background, what do you say to that? Because the white man's rule, so-called colonial white man's rule, which, by the way, you know, I, I will declare straight up, I have an Irish mother and a Greek father, so we don't have anything to do with that stuff. Um, but I understand the, the drama that, every, that people feel, particularly from you know, where you've come from, your great-great-great-great-grandmother, I think it was. Yeah. yeah, I get it. And you, I would be shitty too, by the way. Um, well, the Irish have a tough time as well. Totally. How, how does a blame game work? I mean, is it their fault or is it the system's fault or is it the fault of everybody today because we haven't recognised the system is flawed? Particularly when I overlay that with all this being one big total fiction. doesn't matter which system we're looking at. I think the to unpack the fiction piece... Um, I remember talking to Stan Grant once who uh, said, you know, the whole nations are an idea. 
like the whole world is an idea, like the, the vocabulary of saying earth, you know. And when you when you start to get out of our capacity to, which I think is part of the design feature, which we've been working on a lever, which I think can help release some of the challenges and the flaws in our organisational and systemic design, which I'll talk to in a second. But our vocab is is minimal and our systemic reach, like we know 4% of the universe. We, we understand 4% of what exists. And right now we're sitting on a rock that's spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. Life is constantly in wild movement and most of our design frames at the moment have r- tried to reach for human control and I think the prize starts to come when you're working with emergence as a design frame and you realise that at best we're improv artists. And I think anybody in, in any form of leadership now post-pandemic is suddenly going, holy shit, every day is completely different and I now have to just respond. And so we're, we're actually moving in a different way to a period of time where we blocked out all of the natural world and all of the chaos and all of the stuff that was moving and we sat inside of our house and we're like, no, the earth's not moving like I'm watching television. Like we're in outer space. We're in outer space right now. So I think that can be challenging because then it leads to another significant question, which is am I significant? And individually, not really. Like we're a tiny blip of energy. Or relatively speaking. Yeah, Rel- rel- yeah. There's, and, and I think there's an F. Scott Fitzgerald line which is um, – the sign of a first-rate intelligence is holding two conflicting thoughts at the same time and still functioning. So yes and no, right? So we can, you can have value. Um, but fundamentally, when we rip off our like body suits, we're a blip of energy. And the energy in the container of this sphere of this, you know, very blue, um, tiny blue thin wrapper that holds us together, that's constant. What we embody with that energy, I think, is the what the rules help shape. There are some, I think, I'm, I'm not, um, I don't follow one religious text, but I do think that there is an energy current in earth and I think that's not a woo-woo playground. I think you can be connected to the energy of the earth and when you design from the energy of the earth, I think it's healthier. So you're getting back to like physics. Yeah. So, so that sort of ignores a little bit your indigenous traditional thought processes or, or not? No, no, no. Like astronomy, playgrounds, movement, like all energy currents. And I think that's the, the second part of, you know, what what we've mapped in our patterns was... We being? Our Indigenous systems. Yeah. Is that you mapped diagonally backwards in time, you mapped to your ancestors, you mapped to what's below the earth, you mapped to the sky, you mapped to different family units, you mapped to groups of about 100. And then you're kind of going, all right, well, from this we make a decision. So the the, the two areas of design which I think um, can be really helpful for regenerating our organisations is should we delete everything that's come? No way. Like that's crazy thought. There is intelligence from everywhere. We need all of the possible intelligence that we've got accumulated from every different playground. The person who who has, who has operated either intentionally with cruelty should always have the chance to be able to behave differently. So that I will sit down with anybody from any background, from anywhere and and try and work together. Um, it's not, that was the greatest lesson I got when I started AIM. I was at St. Paul's College. I got this scholarship to go there and it was like a crazy social experiment um, which they made an Australian story thing on and they, you get a bit of a sense of like what it was like in the college. But five nights a week, 
formal dinner, academic gown, suit, tie, three-course meals being waited on. You know, we'd grown up without a kitchen table, like mum was painting on it the whole time, single mum, like, and, you know, you walk into this place and this was the club of the club. And they, I thought, oh, this is really easy. Like I was hanging out at the Indigenous Centre with these amazing Indigenous uni students, first of a generation to come through, like all this complexity and like, just magic, like real intelligence. You could feel that kind of bursting through. And then this tiny, like kind of sick, like in a club um, where everyone, all they were doing were just sticking together. No one was really thinking. It was just hold the club together. So I got angry at those guys for two years. I thought I've solved this, like just get angry at the, the super privileged people. And the biggest lesson I got from the AIM stuff at the beginning when it started after two years of, of being at college was if I want these guys to sit down with Indigenous people or anyone else that's different to their club and see that person not where they've come from but where they can go to, to defy maybe the myths that they've been told or thought about, then I've got to do the same thing with them. So I think we have to take everybody and everything from where we're at. We've never been on red alert as a species. Like that's a crazy thing to, to know that that's there for us. So we need the abundance of all of our intelligence to work out what we're going to do. So I think the... There's a difference between acknowledging causing pain and harm to people and I think that's healthy part of the process of working through stuff but it's why, you know, the reconciliation movement for me, like we we got to move like 100 years in advance of that. Like we need different Yeah, we should, um, we've got to stop talking. We've got to say how do we all work together? Yeah, and where, move the intelligence. Where's the best? Which, where's the best outcome? Which is where from? the prize, when you centre on intelligence, then I think you get a very different paradigm. Okay, can I stop it? So I now, I, now I know what you get. So, so you're saying... Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're saying I acknowledge all these things, reconciliation, et cetera, acknowledge the fact that you know, shit happened, which shouldn't have never happened, acknowledge the fact that um, you know, Australia was colonialised, just acknowledge it. So dwell on it though. Let's develop something that's intellectually above all that, that's like rise above it all and let's borrow from all the various learnings that all the various cultures have, you know, have De- develop because by the way when the English first was I, I did commerce law at university and the first thing we learned in a law degree was Australia received British law mm. they didn't know any different I mean so they, they, they're there they said okay well, we'll use the same laws we got in Britain we'll build the same properties we built in Britain yep. we'll run the same uh, communities that we run in Britain that's all they know they, and that you're right they, maybe it's different now but they weren't people didn't think what's better or what's appropriate well, they did. They thought what's brave is what we already know. Yep. There was no thought in it. So what you're saying is let's rise above all that. Yep. Um, let's rise above all the issues. Let's create something brand new, uh, uh, country, nation, digital. Let's call it imagine, imagination. Yeah. And uh, but what we, but smart. Let's borrow. Same as the British, we did here in Australia. We, well, everybody did. Whoever's here, we borrowed the British. We borrowed the British system. You are saying, let's borrow what's best out of everything. Yep. And let's have a th- let's call. I hate this word, but think tank of people. But that, yeah, that that's where that's that's the key. But part. who are the people? Yep. Back to the question on on power. That was where, so we were like, okay, nature is a center point of governance for the system. But then we had to work out the second. There's two key parts to the design which we got gifted along the way, and and we were talking to everyone. We were bouncing from like 14 year old entrepreneurs in India to Indigenous young people to like we did a session with Malcolm Turnbull. We did one with the Mandela family. Like we were sort of going in and out of all these different thinkers and circles and whatnot. And 
then where we we got to were like, okay, Tyson Yunker Porter is this amazing um, Australian thinker. He's an Indigenous systems thinker. Um, has written a book, book called Sand Talk, which I think is one it's of the what? Sand Talk. Sorry, and I would I would say it's like a, a breakthrough paradigm text for us to then understand how we rise above the politicization of representation, which is critical. But I think it's like in terms of advancement one out of 10 when we need to get to 20 out of 10 really quickly. Do we need to rise above it because there's people who are pulling it back down to, in order to, to maintain their control? And, and what is that? Why do people want to do that? Yeah, there's. I'll get there and I'll jump just quickly to the, yeah. the power piece. So that we're then going through this design piece and then a bunch of like reasonably smart people from all these different backgrounds were like, um, Jack, this thing might work. The time might be right for this. Um do you want to be Zuckerberg? Like what happens? And then we had this yeah, really- that's where it end, could end up. Yeah. And and so you have this other challenge, which is, which I've experienced at different stages. And I, I really struggled during my twenties with, you know, I was a CEO at 22. I've been a CEO for 20 years. Um, you know, a lot of people, and when we did the, that Australian story piece, I like really freaked out because they desperately wanted to put me in the box as a young indigenous leader. And, you know, by that point, I'd been running this joint for five years. We were the ninth best place to work in Asia and BDRW stuff. We'd won awards. We'd started to like hack at this problem of, of closing the, the educational gap. We'd created the biggest volunteer movement of uni students in Australian history. We'd run swimwear parades through the middle of Sydney CBD. We started a fashion line. Like for our generation, we were, you know, it's probably not like too self-promoting to say that we were one of the like bright spot, cool, like breakthrough um, movements. And I'm like, do I have to be positioned as the young Indigenous guy or can I, like I'm actually pretty decent at knowing stuff. So so that was a grapple. And then the other thing that happens is you definitely do have power. You have, you know, in, in a smaller group, like I am the person who has an unfair share of power. And I didn't like it. Like I, I like being in a troop. I like designing. I can think I'm an artist, like I can move, but I, the, I lead um, because I'm sitting in a room looking around sometimes being like, okay, I'll stand up. Um, but it's not from a place where I want to be No, it's not, you're not taking power that is given to you. Yeah, and, and you do get it. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and, and then that becomes that danger. And I think when I was looking at every, this is where we got the design breakthrough and it's the last chapter of a book that comes out in September that I've been working on called Hoodie Economics. And it was, okay, it, it seems every organisation grows and then gets to a certain point where power leads to a few different frisions where it's either going to be corruption, institutionalization, or decay. And and they those paths come in one way, shape, or another. You might keep regenerating and being successful, but at a certain point there's too much accumulated power in one organization. Did you think Zuckerberg's uh, went through any one of those phases and ended up in the phases right now? Do you think it was like genuine uh, trying to... Do you think he started off trying to build power or he just he received power but now he's controlling power? Um, when power gets out of control um, and you have influence beyond what any human being should, um, whether it's those two examples of, of, of who you provided, you can't go to sleep at night and look in the mirror and be like, I'm not out of my depth. You know, we're, we, so that is the part of the two insights we got were the governance system has to be grounded in relational patterns. So that was one. And the second one was, okay, what does nature do? So we looked to nature. Nature lives and nature dies. And it dies intentionally and it dies to create regenerative networks within the health of the whole natural ecosystem. So we said we're going to set an intentional death date for the network. We're going to set 10 years as a lifespan. And then we've just approved for AIM a 10-year intentional death date as a governance lever. 
And suddenly, like, so we've got the clock ticking on our website. We've got nine years and, you know. 2033. Yeah. We've got nine years and 200 odd days to go, you know. And what do you want to achieve in that Yeah. So then, then it becomes, okay, this is the lab for humanity to solve the challenges of our time, which then allows you to refine the, um, who are the citizens in imagination, which I think then as a designer, I feel like, you know, limitless growth as a design frame is really, really unhealthy. You need limitations, especially if you want to be imaginative. Like the more limited and the more pressure you're under, the more imaginative I think you are. Like, and, and I think that's again, a natural phenomenon. The more pressure there is, the more you get this expansion. And so we have gone, okay, 10 years lab, who are the key players? Well, we know that from the last 20 years, who we think are the key players that influence inequity. The first one, is kids outside the margins have been excluded. So we're going to have a million presidents in imagination um, who are young people from outside the margins. Now, it's not enough for them to just turn up and be like, I'm the Aboriginal kid or the Kenyan kid or the African-American kid. Their job in imagination is to restore our custodial relations to nature and to showcase how to do that with their, their systems change projects. They sit in the centre. And then around them, in parallel, not, not sort of um, holding their hand or offering a handout, is a thousand organizations that we're going to accredit to be joy corporations. So building on the B Corp model, we've built seven indicators for a healthier measurement system for organizations. So I think we need a different measurement system for impact. One of them is a kindness economy. Another one is relationship to nature. Another one is our commitment to peace. And then cross-hatching. The first one is cross-hatching our relationships so we're more healthily in relation to the geography where we are, both to nature and to the people that have been excluded. And so in, instead of AIM doing the mentoring, every office block should be connected to local high schools, local primary schools, and then you, you get a healthier joy in what you're doing. The other part, which I think that solves for this huge challenge for organizations that have suddenly got no employees at the office is what does your real estate mean if you're not in relation? And for the employees that are sitting at home right now and being like, well, this flexibility is great. Well, you better believe that the employer is going to be like, well, hang on, if I can employ you in Gosford, then I can employ someone from Japan or I can employ someone from Indonesia. So Maybe Yeah. And if you're not improving your relational capital and you're you're not you know supporting yeah. homeless people then game over so i think that transition is so so joy corp becomes one universities we're going to accredit a thousand universities around the world to be mentoring universities and providing service a service economy within that university so that a student you know i wrote a paper um four years ago and passed it to the federal government to say look you do full fee paying um subsidies why don't you do the same subsidy for someone that mentors 100 hours for a local high school kid and builds a, a better social fabric? And, you know, it's already there as a model. You just clip 5% off what would be the fee at the end of the hex piece. You don't lose any money. You get this volunteer network built into the social fabric. So you do that for a 1,000 unis, a 1,000 schools as imagination schools to make sure that these kids are activated ASAP, that we've got these laboratories working on problems and you've got 12-year-olds working on these challenges. And then a 1,000 systems change leaders, which I think is... You know, the I didn't realize that what that phrase was until I met Tyson, who's written Sand Talk, that, oh, okay, cool. Because I look at the whole map, everyone was like, well, you're crazy. Where does this fit? Are you the charity or the indigenous group? No, we just work on the challenge of, of what the whole system looks like. And there are definitely people and, and brilliant people working on systems change around the world. So we're going to put that group together. We're going to put a container on it. There'll only be a thousand universities allowed in the club, only a thousand. Um, organizations, a thousand systems change players, a thousand schools, and then a million indigenous kids in the center or a million kids from outside the margins in the middle of it. We think that will be one, not the only, and, and it's not just going to be us. 
but one generative talent pool for humanity, one really powerful think tank. And the difference to MIT Media Labs or, um, you know, Building 20 is we've centered intelligence from outside the margins smack in the goop of it. So we're running off what the kids are doing with their custodial work. And then we build our systems change projects off the top of it. They will just emerge. So there'll be, you know, 20 or so that as an organization with AIM helping govern it, that we can go, actually, we think that's a heat spot. So one of them, we're working on a nature fund out of New York with this group called Ethic, which uh, an Australian guy's helped found and another Australian guy's actually involved with as well. And looking at Indigenous systems thinking to shape a financial tool around nature and their analysis says, you know, $780 billion that needs to move if we're going to be a chance to get to that 1.5 degree um, holding pattern. So that's one of the projects we're working on. So those things will then emerge out and then we'll be able to either be the connective tissue manually being like, oh, Joy Corp over there, connect with that group. But then you've got a club, you know, which isn't a Soho house. It's a inclusive focus club, but it's not to then come and just um, talk about the past and make peace with the past and then sit still. It's how do we solve the challenges of our time in the next decade? And we hope that provides a model of what the best of the internet can look like. You know, Clubhouse has got elements of that design, but it's exclusive. Mm. Um, you know, the there's Wikipedia is brilliant. You know, we've got elements of that built into the knowledge project. It's all open source. And then at the end of the decade, we know we've got 10 years and then we pass on the IP and then we're going to donate that IP back to nature. And we're hoping we can start to reactivate modern song lines. So you've got, say, the Platypus Library where you've got, you know, millions of dollars worth of IP, which is there. And people go, okay, well, there's intelligence from that platypus. How do I go and learn, for example, you know, the role of the platypus in the water is to churn the water. So that's that's my totem. So when you, you said at the start, the conversation sort of moving in a few places, that's what I do. I churn the water, but afterwards it's healthier water. So you go, okay, well, who's going to be the platypus in our team meetings? Who's going to be the the platypus in our, you know, and our leadership team as we move out? Who's going to go churn the water? It suddenly becomes an R&D behavior. And we have relation to that platypus and we acknowledge the IP that comes from that platypus. We financially think about how we can put that back instead of just going, well, I'll take that and off we go and then the platypuses are all going to die and then we'll deify it, you know, later on as this like symbol on our logo. And we made all this money that wasn't in relation. So first part, death. Second part is unlikely connections by a factor of five. So for the governance piece, we're going to be governed by by tiny nucleus groups of five. There's no individual profile. You go into a group of five, so there'll be one Joy Corp, one university leader, one imagination president, one system change citizen, and then one school leader. The five are together and they're, they're patterned across nation borders, across racial backgrounds. And what happens at five, and we've done heaps of research into the number, hung out with Robin Dunbar, who's like, yeah, five is the key, hung out with Fridge off Kappa and a bunch of other cats. The beauty of Unlikely Connections by Five is it's, nothing's incorruptible but it's pretty hard for the five to then be like all right we're going to now go and rob the bank or whatever because they're all they're not going to clue yeah so you've got that and then you also get joy like you know when which we're starting to get when we have an one of our aboriginal staff connected with someone from uganda with someone from new york with someone from armenia with someone from japan you're like this is ridiculous and you start to realize how beautiful it is the the capacity we have and that's the best of the the internet five, not five million followers or 5,000 that you can never know. But those five nucleus groups then will form smart contracts to verify the behavior of each other group. So as we go to working out whether they're going to be accredited, the five are going to be up to verifying what's going on. And then we'll be a peer group that can come in and and co-verify that, looking at specific networks and being like, yep, that looks healthy. 
And then the way we're moving the network is a game or, or an activity we do with our little kids. It's Incy Wincy Spider. So we just Incy Wincy Spider the thing and keep making sure the nodes in the network keep generating. So from one five to another five and then we move that and that ensures that hopefully different to the Facebook design of connecting you to what you know and who you know, we connect you to what you don't know and who you don't know and we keep generating that and we feel like that at the very least will increase our intelligence capacity and we hope that from that increase of intelligence we'll be able to find the necessary solves that we don't know yet. So that's that's where our imagination will work. It's a big ambition. Yeah, it has to be I think yeah, where no, we're at now. Well, it's rewriting how we connect. At some stage you're going to be challenged with people's behaviour and how they change. That'll be interesting if nothing else to observe. Yeah, from, yeah, big from, time. From my point of view, uh, I'm a big believer in always my reversion points, always nature. I like the fact that um, you were going to pay forward and pay back nature. Mm. I like that. That's cool. I, it, like, it's amazing young people like you thinking about these things, but I guess that's um, that's the way we are today. Uh, you know, like uh, my generation where we play defensive because we've accumulated too much too many thoughts as well and uh, you guys have a younger generation like your generation have opportunities to have bigger ideas and and I, and I just because we, I keep trying to reconcile where's the world going to, you know, we hear about woke, anti-woke, you know, liberalism versus anti-liberalism. It's just going mad and I think there's all the indicators are, are out there is that we need ch- some change because there's, there's too much diametrically opposed mm-hmm. positions and uh, you're sort of trying to build a sweet solution in between it all, well, you and your, your mates, yep. your gang, um, your mob. <laughs> um, and I and I and I and I think it's. I'd be honest, it's. I think it's upon you, upon your gen, not generation, but upon your cohort to deliver these 12, 13 year olds, or even younger kids, maybe a new solution to this stuff. Um, it's upon you. You have to do it because mm. we can't. Uh, um, we can accept it or think about it or whatever and encourage it but we're too far gone because neurologically our neurons of our story about ourselves is already formed. It's a big leap. Some people can do it but it's a big leap to change plasticity and all that sort of stuff. It's a big leap for us to change what we think about our story as individuals. Mm. That's a really big thing to do. Neurologically, because you know, after my case, sixty-seven years of, yeah, that's who I am. Changed a little bit, and I get affirmations, confirmation. That's who you are, Mark. And I've, I start to believe who I am, and then that becomes who I am. That's how we work. That's how your brain story, works. Yeah, and that's your story. Um, so therefore, we need, and it's very hard to reverse that. It's it's difficult to reverse, particularly if I'm comfortable. Mm. Different if I was uncomfortable, unhappy, or whatever the case may be. Um, but most people in the world of the 8 billion people, most of them, when I say you know, 5 billion of them maybe, not most, but well, yeah, the majority, you know, there's probably 3 billion who aren't, but they're, they're the ones who control the levers and they're comfortable. Mm. So maybe not happy but they're comfortable and it's uncomfortable. They don't like being un- we don't like being uncomfortable as people. So therefore it's upon your, your, your I don't want to say generation, but the cohort of people that you're knocking around with to think this through and obviously it's going to evolve. <laughs> it won't be the – whatever it is you'll just lay down now, it'll change. Um, as you know, you have to change things as you go because you can't architecture these things straight up, mm. even though you spent 20 years thinking about it. But uh, it's cool that you're doing that. Uh, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone like you before. I've had some thoughts around what you're talking about. 
you were at the Humankind conference recently. Yeah, with Herman, yeah. Which I think in terms of moving people, like that's why imagination is the superpower we've got. And we did an immersive theatre show, a secret show each night um, and we had people in from all ages. You know, we had one bloke come up at the end of it um, who brought his 80-year-old dad and he said my dad's 80, been... 80-year-old, yeah. Yeah, he said my dad's been really sad for a long time and I've been really stuck. And we took him into this journey. We told no one what was going on. Gave them all a marble and then they ended up in 20 different groups and then an announcer said there's 40 minutes till the show starts and they had to do this um, this development of a, of a show. So some people were doing singing bowls, some people were doing a deconstructed didgeridoo, other people were working on shadow puppetry and then we patchworked this show together for them and revealed it and they were the audience and they were in the show and they got to move around Coney Island and um, we had a dinosaur appear and we had this co- this amazing guy play the cora, which is this beautiful um, wild string instrument and a harpist and all these little secrets along the way. And just watching people stay with it and the release of what that happens with Big Story and that's what, you know, you talk about music or um, imagination as a device no matter what age I believe that we have the capacity to then transcend our um, our current state and to be in movement and so that's why I, that is a critical device for us and a, and a technique and like we've got puppets that are uh, running our university and they've become the key figureheads for us and and we're working on a you know an offer alongside what the Muppet Show have done so we're about to take a TV show out to bring that device into the home so parents can sit with your kids kids give you that chance to kind of regenerate as well so I think there is still scope for movement uh, I do think it's a bit more challenging and your earlier question around power people want to cling to power if there is no vision for tomorrow and if there is no chance of jumping to a more abundant world and everyone will hold on to their stocks and hold on to their money and, and, and die with it. The prize is intelligence and if the prize is learning more and the intelligence being better for yourself, if you can be smarter, then that's... that's or just more learned. More learned, yeah. But even from a... If, if you get to make more money from being able to know more from some of these different systems, cool, I'm cool with that. Like... You know, I know that it's not all, we, we are selfish and we can be altruistic if self-interest meets that intersection. I'm not in a place of, you know, believing that we are and naturally don't have a self-drive for our own survival. So I think finding that intersection, that's where intelligence I think is an abundant playground, something like joy. If you feel joyful, that feels like it can go forever. And and that is, comes from us being in relation. So I think that it's, it's complex in many ways, like quite simple. We've got social networks that you know, when you talked about Murdoch earlier, the social pages were you know brought in via the tabloids, and we had four pages in a newspaper of a hundred odd pages, and it was the photos of look at the person out and about. Or chicken in a bikini. Yeah, and then suddenly we thought, okay, that will be everything. We'll just remove the hundred odd pages of thinking, of writing, of journalists, of of analysis, of twenty years worth of work, of research, of knowledge, and we'll just go all socials. And so we're in this crazy goop of distraction. And when you're distracted, you can definitely be divided and that definitely helps people hold on to power. You know, it is it is a definitive technique, that divide and conquer playground. In relation, there is more destabilisation. There is a, a, a moment of either giving over your wealth uh, for a moment, which might be financial wealth, or the biggest prize, like I think, and the toughest one is to say, I don't know. Yeah, I've been to Stanford, I've been to Harvard, I've done all these things as a person and then there's heaps I don't know yet. And they're the people which I want to work with and, and that I, I think all of us have that capacity. And when we're based in fear-based rhetoric or things like, you know, with the voice, like we should have had a voice designed into our systems 100 years ago. Like, come on, let's move. You know, the 
we we will got to have pathways for lots of different people that are connected and and that makes us better if the prize is intelligence if the narrative is about us destroying each other and always being at war as a species, then we'll just do that and we'll be gone and that'll be it and the rock will carry on. Like There's six billion years left of, of Earth before it gets eaten by the sun. It's not about saving the Earth this current moment. Like Earth's going to be okay. It's just about whether we want to still be around. Can we for make it? it? Yeah, can we make it? And and do we, and can it be more than just survival? Like is there a chance for it to be joyful and rich and and then you move into that last little bit that you, you sort of talked about of, you know, the the story and the ideology and, and I think what I'm very wary of is the power of, of talking like this and the power of um, of movements and, you know, I was in America when we launched AIM Globally. I was living there for three or four years on and off um, out of New York and it was after Obama and into Trump and I remember saying to my partner when Hillary and Trump were debating, we were lying on the floor of Queens, like who's designing the model for the white man? Um, because we need a system for everybody. We've got to be able to bring people in and think about what happens next and and we can't just suddenly go, okay, well, this group comes in and then we have another class of, of poverty. This is not healthy systemic design. So I think making sure that we're eyes wide open, that we can be dreaming, we can be imaginative, we know the problems and we just don't have a choice. Like I, So when you say we have to do it, there's been times in my life when I've been willing myself to be like, be the leader, Jack, go and be the Obama-like guy or whatever. Now I know the frailty of of the pain of hope. I know how fragile hope is. I know how much it can be it can be broken um, and I can be broken. And from that rebuild after 20 years, it's with knowing that if I get the troop around us, which we're gathering, and if everybody like goes, all right, let's build this thing together, then I can be a bit of a curator and nudge us. But and I know that when I'm looking at the models that are around the world, this is one of the solutions um, and it and we can do it, you know. So we're, we're currently in a $100 million raise where we're trying to get the $100 million done by October this year so we can clear all the money for the next decade and just run on $10 million a year, set limitations to it so then we can't be corrupted by the next bit because I think the next part that comes once you start to this point is like, okay, imagination's there and then Walmart comes along and goes, can you build Walmart Alley for like another 100 mil? Like, oh, yeah, I suppose we could. You know, it's, yeah, and then that 100 mil, we could build a, a, a chopper into imagination. So we're trying as much as possible to be, to set limitations and intentionality to the design of the tech because I think in tech we we have accepted that iteration is um, is a natural part of the design process and I think sometimes we do that at our own failings. Like WordPress still stacks up. It's the original technology. You know, the algorithm of Google is what holds it. You build all these other things around it. Um, so we're trying to set a five-year do not touch the tech and then come back to it after five years and if there's some things that we need to work on, fine. But back ourselves, like we've done 20 years. If we can't design it for five years and, you know, we didn't design it effectively, like, just hold it, let it be, and then make sure that the intentionality of it holds for the people that come anew to it and not that you're working off, you know, the first group that came in and then always trying to iterate and run away from the design because I think we we design brilliant things and then we overcomplicate it or we overdesign it or we overwork the piece of art and I've been with, painting. With a, with a refinement. Yeah, or just put extra paint on it. I've been painting for the last six years as um, to try and like work in parallel to doing this thinking and it's been one of the freeing spaces for me and but I just overpaint. Like mum's like, stop painting, that painting's finished. And I'm like, oh, but I've got more paint here, you know, and I'm bored and so I'll, I'll, I'll put another layer on. Sometimes I've done 20 paintings which are decent over the top of one. So that is the discipline I think you require as a designer to sometimes go, oh, okay, 
I might actually have nothing to do for six months if I do this right. And that is dangerous as well to hold the discipline and not and pull another lever or, or mess with it. Um, so, yeah, very wary of what's ahead and, and where we're at. Jack Manning Bancroft, I love the idea of imagination and you said something quite interesting just a moment ago and I'm going to wrap now, but uh, you said you, you, hit, you, t- you touched on the word fear and I, th- I, I fear we live in the world of fear today and, um, and fear politics um, and fear control and especially during the COVID period was a good example of how it works and, it's, and we are still in that environment today. Now the big value man, like in a financial sense, is inflation. That's the next COVID. <laughs> and uh, we're going to lock you down financially. And I always take the view that fear is the great thief of imagination. Hmm. It, it just steals your imagination because yep. you fucking freeze. And uh, and without imagination, you've got nothing for me. And uh, so I'm I'm really pleased you came in today. I I've enjoyed this this chat. I mean, it could have gone for ages. I don't know if we've gone way over time. But um, there, you've uh, stimulated a lot of thought processes. Good job. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast. <laughs>